I think anyone who's going to tell you that uh, graphic novels aren't literature, they're wrong. Um, whether or not they're good literature and how they're being used, that's a different story. Pewter, Lego Batman here. Play Podcast PD. This is Podcast PD, the show that provides you with anytime, anywhere professional development. Our conversations and guests will provide you with the learning you might get in a faculty meeting or on a PD day. Except you'll have more fun with Stacey Lindis, AJ Bianco, and me, Chris Nessie. Hey, welcome back to Podcast PD. This is episode number 16, and as you can see by the title in your podcast player of choice, Today, we are talking about comic books and graphic novels in the classroom. But before we get to our very special guest here in the Podcast PD Batcave, let me welcome on my co-hosts for the evening, Stacey Lindis, and of course, AJ Bianco. AJ, how are you, my friend? How are you guys? It is uh, good to talk to you. I feel like it's been forever since we've uh, put together an episode. I'm kind of looking forward to this. Yeah, it's been a while. Good evening, gentlemen. Good day. Good morning. Chris, tell us about our special guest. Our special guest is the Ed Justice League's own Adam Schoenbart, a.k.a. The Arrow. Adam Schoenbart is a former high school English teacher from Ossining, New York, and now Adam has embarked on a very magical journey into administration, which we're going to set it up now. He will be back to talk about that aspect of his life, but... Adam is now the vice principal at Darien High School in Darien, Connecticut. Adam, welcome to Podcast PD, brother. How you doing? Thanks for having me, everybody. I'm excited to be here. It's, it's been an exciting start to the school year. I know. I hear suspensions are up and discipline is in order now, right? I'm not sure I'd say suspensions are up, but it's an interesting transition with the uh, uh, getting my start in school leadership and administration, getting a, getting a better understanding for that side of the job, among other things. And, and, and what a different side of education I'm sure you're learning that it is. It's been a change from the classroom, but uh, an exciting and a fun one for sure. I don't mean to like rush you past that topic, but um, we have some <laughs> exciting, I guess, classroom conversation to have. Did all three of you attend this very interesting event that I did not take part in? Yeah, guys, tell us about this event that, that everybody took part in. <laughs> <laughs> about that well the event we're talking about is new york city comic-con i was planning on attending but unfortunately i got sick and was unable to attend so i had to bail out on these uh two guys to, to meet up with them ironically for for me i'm someone who attends multiple comic-cons a year but i too had to bail out of this one to uh to aj's dismay but uh for me it was starting the new job and the new school year that it just wasn't the right time for me to to be able to get there. So uh, hopefully next year. I've been to a couple comic shows this year and I'm excited for a few more. Wait, wait, wait. I knew that AJ went by himself, but I only thought he was supposed to have one friend with him. I didn't realize you both left him high and dry on the floors of Comic-Con. It, it, it was me, myself, and I at the New York City Public Library for some, some, good, some good old-fashioned PD. Oh, that's awful. No, it was okay. <laughs> the original plan was for AJ and I to just kind of shadow Adam because he is, for lack of better words, he is Captain Comics in our eyes. 
He is got a wealth of knowledge. I mean, education, you know, connected, you know, technology. He knows that. But I mean, dear Lord, comic books are his jam for real. They, they've certainly always been a passion of mine. Um, just just before we started recording, I was reading one. Um, but they were also uh, one of my passions in the classroom. Uh, as an English teacher, it was a lot of fun for me to be able to bring in something I love into uh, into the classroom in a meaningful way. Wait, so Adam, let's 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 start from the beginning here, like in all seriousness, all right. because you know I, I think people think about comic books and they say, "Oh, fake heroes, villains, nonsense." What got you started reading comic books? How old were you, and what was your first comic or graphic novel that stands out? It's hard for me to pick just one. For me, I think it was uh, the '90s uh, cartoons, Batman and X Men, and Spider Man in particular. And when I when I was a kid, I was watching those cartoons, and for the, from there that got me into the characters, and I just became hooked, uh, and then became about the comics and the reading, and then from there really grew to something else where I started to realize that comic books are they're a medium for storytelling. It's not just superhero stories, but it's art and words working together in really uh, really transformational ways, unlike anything else out there. I, when I'm thinking about the first comics I read. And like, remember picking up, wanting to go to the store and like read issues of and like follow storylines. It's the X Men and uh, and Batman are the two. Uh, and I remember the I remember the storylines even when when I re- that I guess the first time that I realized that comics have ongoing storylines that I don't want to miss miss an issue of. The same way we would people watch TV, binge watch TV and don't want to miss a, miss an episode. That's awesome because I remember for me it was it was the X Men cartoon as well that got me started. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a buddy whose neighbor used to work for a comic book, either store or a company. I don't remember what exactly it was. We were young. you know, We were like eight or nine years old. He used to bring us comics every Tuesday or Wednesday, and he would just give us like a big box. And X-Men stands out to me. Spider-Man stands out to me. You know, there was a lot of Marvel comics for me. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really get into the DC. I mean, I knew Superman. I knew Batman. They were cool, but it was always Marvel for me. For me, my first memory, also Batman, the animated series, um, but really getting into the superhero stuff, it, it started with, you know, the Adam West Batman, then, you know, w- was hooked on, you know, the superhero genre. And then again, you know, Batman, the animated series. Um, I was never really a Marvel guy. I was always, you know, Batman, Superman uh, into that. And of course, you know, very into Superman. And it just kind of took off from there. My first comic that I remember getting was the death of Superman in the plastic. Yes. He brought home a copy, brought home a copy in the white and a copy in the black. And he said, you're allowed to open the one in the white. You're not allowed to touch the one in the black. Have you ever looked to see how much the black one's worth? I I have not. It's just, I know it's stored away and I still haven't ever touched it. (laughs) Don't don't look, it doesn't make a difference. I'm being, I'm being a hundred percent honest with you. I have it hidden away. And I looked (laughs) at it. I'm like, how much is it going to be? It's like, 15 bucks if 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 you're lucky i'll I'll go with more like three to five yeah probably but i have like i have the whole death like i have the whole death of superman from start to finish unopened in plastic i'm like this is gonna pay for my kids college one day (laughs) (laughs) might get him like a cheeseburger Hmm. (laughs) just and just for you nobody else yeah no that's right yeah uh stacy i don't know are you are you into comics have you ever been into comics I'm into superheroes more than I'm into actual books. 
Um, I, you know, I have two boys and that brought, and their, their love and fascination with the Marvel movies is what drew me back into that world. Chris, like you, I remember watching the Adam West, um, Batman and the Linda Carter Wonder Woman. And, you know, I, I love the, the way, um, Wonder Woman is like truly the only female superhero, um, who is, is just her own entity. You know, she's not Batgirl. She's not Supergirl. She is, she's just Wonder Woman. She doesn't come from some male superhero, uh, who they've made female. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not really a big book reader. I actually have a question for Adam, like, and maybe you guys can help out with it. What is, I, I guess as a, as an elementary teacher, graphic novels seem to be prevalent in the classroom. So is there a big difference, Adam, between graphic novels and comics <laughs> so, when people are talking about them? So I'll go with it kind of depends on who you ask. But the, the real answer and the one I've always stood by is it's semantics. It's graphic novels sound fancy. So uh, back in uh, back in the 80s, I'd say, late 80s or 1986 is when – comic books as a whole began began to largely gain some uh, notoriety for being more than just the kind of disposable superhero stories for kids that we that it's it's really a misnomer but that comics are often thought of as um series like alan moore's watchmen and frank miller's dark knight returns were some of the ones that people read that people started realizing oh wow comics can do more than we ever thought it's not just the kids stuff and so from there um the, the term graphic novel kind of grew as this like more adult form of storytelling um so a a level of maturity to it and i think that was the way it was used for a long time in in reality definition wise graphic novel really speaks to the length more than anything else typically you'll find um a long form comic published for the first time called the graphic novel but then you'll also find a reprint of individual issues that come out every month published in a book format and that's also called a graphic novel so really it's one of those terms that for me kind of lacks real meaning and was just uh made up because people thought uh they didn't want to say that they're reading comic books interesting and it has nothing to do with the fact that like when i think of graphic novels and you know i do think of it as a thicker book thing or traditional comic book but when i think of them i also don't equate them with superheroes Mm -hmm. so you know um like books like Awkward and Brave and some of the other graphic novels that are, you know, smile and drama and all of those things that I see my middle schoolers reading and my own children mm-hmm. reading. I, I, I consider those graphic novels more so than comic books. I don't know why. So I think it, it's the, it's the spin that the publishing industry has taken on it more than anything else that there, there's been this uh, push to separate superhero genres from other kinds of comic books so we get this kind of split between the quote-unquote comic book versus the quote-unquote graphic novel but really the the story is the story it's just there there's different genres within this world of comics and graphic novels but they're both doing the same thing it's words and words and pictures put together in sequential storytelling that's what that's what both of those things are doing it's just really a matter of uh what the story is about and how long it is but i but in terms of what it does how it's made it's it's really the same thing that's the perfect explanation. Thank you. Now, Adam, just kind of piggybacking off some of what you were just talking about. So do you think there's any limit as to when comics could or should be introduced into the classroom? Is, is there a point where it's too young or 
are, are kids ever too old for it? I mean, which that's actually kind of stupid because you yourself were just reading comics and you're well beyond K-12. <laughs> so I think that's another uh, really important um, kind of misconception about comic books. And when I, whenever I would uh, teach with them in the classroom, we would always talk about these misconceptions to start. And the idea that comics are for kids is so typical because when comics were created in the 30s, 40s, all the way through the 60s, right, it was disposable. They were made marketed at kids. So it was disposable, uh, disposable storytelling. You would buy them for 10 cents, 12 cents a quarter, and you would th- and then they would get thrown out. And that's why some early comics are so valuable today because they all got thrown out. Um, kids went off to college and parents thought, oh, this is this is garbage. This is kid stuff. But really what uh, we're finding more and more is that comics are just a form of storytelling. So if you think about, well, when would you show a kid a movie or read a book or a short story or a poem, right? Comics are the same thing in that they're a medium for storytelling. So I really think that they're uh, valuable for all ages. And again, keeping in mind this idea that comics are the medium. It's the way the story is told. It's not the genre or what the story is about. So we're, so we're often thinking about that superhero lens. And like Stacy said, there's so much today, uh, especially for young adult readers and elementary readers, that is that spans all sorts of genres. On top of that, I, I think uh, you know, there's a lot of research out there that shows comics are one of the kind of unique mediums that really appeal to all kinds of learners. It's not just the boys or the girls or the high-functioning students or special ed students or um, reluctant readers, that there, there's value for all kinds of diverse learners out there too. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you say that, Adam, because I know um, in an elementary setting, and Chris, this might speak to your question about is there ever like too young an age or too old an age for comics to be introduced or brought into the classroom? I, I know teachers who will, you know, offer a struggling or reluctant reader a comic book or a graphic novel. And usually that's their gateway to finding something that they will like, or, you know, um, because there's so much, there's so much picture support that -hmm. it helps tell the story. Um, But there's definitely a, there's, there's a readability thing in comics that I think is harder than your traditional text. And I think sometimes kids need to be taught how to read a comic book as opposed to how to read traditional text that goes left to right. Um, Absolutely. There, there's this term called closure. It's uh, it was a term coined by Scott McCloud, who's one of the great uh, comic book creators, and he's also written uh, the the book the comic books about making comic books. His but understanding comics is his first one, which is a graphic novel about the comic book medium and how the medium works, and it's kind of a textbook to understanding comics. And he writes about this idea of closure as when you're reading a comic and you look from one panel to another, what's happening in between those two panels? Well, really, it's nothing. You're looking at static images on a page that your mind's bringing meaning to. When we watch a TV show, you watch a movie, you're watching a cartoon, right? That, that actually is happening in front of you. The work's being done for you. But in a comic book, you have to actively look at the panels, look at the words, look at the images, and you decide how they work together. It has two seconds past, 10 minutes, four days. What's happening between these panels and what, what's the action, right? Comics, the art is telling a story, but it's up to the reader to put that story together to make meaning of the words and images. So it's definitely, it's in some ways, for some readers, it's a easier kind of reading, but it, um, I really think it's more, uh, it's more of a trick. But really, comics trick you into doing more work in different ways than your traditional reading often does. When you introduced comics in your classroom, did you talk about the structure and did you talk about those elements and how to read 
the panels and the different pictures and how the text might not flow the same way that it would in a traditional book? Oh, absolutely. And uh, some years more than others, depending on what our the text and our goals were. But we would always, I always started with a, uh, a sort of mini lesson on the comic book medium. And we would actually talk about these exact same misconceptions of, well, comics are for kids and that comics are just about superheroes and there's no uh, educational value from comics. And we would kind of debunk those myths uh, by doing some of our own research. I'd often um, pass out a bunch of comics to the class and we spent a few minutes having them look at uh, make predictions about what we're going to be doing based on what they see and talk about their own experiences with comics or the comics that I give them and really trying to unpack what what this, what the comic book medium can do because I think it's important just like when you're introducing any kind of new right text or concept if you're studying film right in your class you're going to really talk about how film works as a as a medium if you're looking at novels you're looking at the way the written word functions so the same way here I think it's really important to have some conversation about what makes comic books special and why they're valuable and how the story is told. Some years we did that very explicitly and really dug into it, um, especially with uh, some senior electives that I taught. And then other years with my 10th graders, it was shorter, quicker, more to the point. And as as students became more interested or less interested, that would always change. But I think that kind of uh, like critical thinking and understanding about the medium really adds a lot to the conversation. You know, I mean, the TV shows are big right now. Movies are out there. So they're surrounded by that in their pop culture. But when you actually give a comic to a student, a high school kid, what is the first thing that they think or say out loud? So most of the time, it really depends on what the comic is. Um, I, I like the lesson where I give them all, I take 30 totally random mix of comics and I pass those out because we get a good variety. And a lot of times you get the kids who they they recognize the the format they rec- recognize okay i have words and panels and i have superheroes or i have cartoony kind of illustrations often and it, it activates this prior knowledge for a lot of these kids that it's something that whether or not they've ever read comics it's something they're familiar with to some level so i think there's that connection usually most of the time very quickly you get a lot of kids questioning they're like what am i going to get out of this this is stupid and get this is these are for kids and that's kind of a little bit of a fight at first but I find that that's one of the fights that pays off so well because if you're – I mean just like any other medium, not all comics are good. Not all comics have the educational value, just like not all novels or movies have that that quality. So – but by picking – making good choices with what you're reading and why, I find very quickly kids' eyes open and they're like, oh, wow. Like this is – I didn't expect this. And that kind of – when I've used a text like a Thor comic book, it's it's a lot simpler and we're looking at mythology and we're looking at heroes. But then when you use something like uh, um, Art Spiegelman's Mouse, which I've read with my sophomores many times, it's a Holocaust memoir, um, then really the very, very quickly, you got kids kind of really shocked at the, the depth that the genre – that the, sorry, that the medium really has. So I think there's, there's often a lot of surprise and a lot of uh, – kind of questioning of um, connecting to past experiences, but questioning them at the same time. Adam, before we get to our students' reactions, what should a teacher consider when they want to use comics or graphic novels in their instruction? So I think first and foremost, we want our students to learn to do things, develop critical thinking and reading skills, we want them to read a wide range, experience a wide range of content and stories and things like that. And I think just like if we're just like we wouldn't 
hopefully sit and just read the textbook all the time forever, right? We want to have a variety of a variety of experiences for our students. Comics really offer another angle to storytelling. And I think that's something, no matter what your subject area, what your age level is, I would really think about what, how are you offering a variety of stories of, and I store the word story very loosely there uh, for your students. Um, but also I really like the idea of using comics and graphic novels to supplement the learning that's going on in our classroom. As an English teacher, I, I would never say, let's get rid of Shakespeare and all the classics and just do comics and any core curriculum, but I think they're a great supplement thematically and artistically and historically to so many of the things that we're already teaching in our classes in our schools. So I really think about the those kind of connections along with the the fact that these these stories and these heroes and this format has become more prevalent and more popular in our culture and with our kids than really ever before. So we need to be taking advantage of that in our classrooms, really making those connections with and for our students. What were the reactions of your admin and even your parents? I don't know what how I would feel if my son came home saying, you know, my high school English teacher wants us to read Thor and he's going to equate that to all things, you know, Norse mythology. So uh, I think, it, it, to be honest, no one ever questioned it. Um, it was something that I always had good feedback on from my administration. And I I definitely spoke about it with parents. It was back to school night. I would list uh, Mouse 2 on my um on my syllabus, but at the same time, it wasn't something that was really ever questioned. I think anyone who's going to tell you that uh, graphic novels aren't literature, they're wrong. Um, whether or not they're good literature and how they're being used, that's a different story. But I think uh, it, we've got to be able to to push the limits and, and change some minds and make a, as long as you can make a good argument here, there's a lot of value to it. And I think that I think it's all about how you present that argument and when you need to. Okay, so let's switch hats for a second. Since you are administrator now in an administrative role, uh, you walk into a classroom, you know, and you see a perfect opportunity for an educator to use a comic that you have used before. Mm-hmm. How do you present that to them? And how do you get them to buy into doing something that's completely different for them, but maybe would be really nice way to connect with their students on a different level? I think I would definitely start by bringing in that comic because odds are I probably have it or making that suggestion and having <laughs> having that, uh, that, that conversation. But I think what's really important there from the administrative side is that it, it, there's a hard balance that I'm trying to, to find between when I'm giving a teacher a recommendation versus a, a change that needs to happen, right? I'm not going to go to a classroom and say, you need to be teaching a comic book tomorrow. But I think there's the the collegial conversations of professional learning of growth. And I think making those like making those recommendations through that lens is really important. But I think it also goes back to any change you want to see in the classroom. Start with find the teacher who's going to get excited about it, who's going to be open to it, who's ready for that change and and find success. So I think it's rather than looking at if I'm going to say I'm going to have all my teachers using comics, well, I'm going to start with that one teacher who I think will will be into it, will do it well, and will see the payoff with their students and with the curriculum. It's not going to work in every class, and it's certainly not going to work all the time. But just like most things in education shouldn't and don't work all the time and aren't one size fits all. I'm sitting here, and I, I listen to my kids when they come in. Mondays, uh, Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and all the, the big shows are on TV. And I love mm-hmm. when they come in, they're excited about, oh my goodness, did you see the flash? Did you see how good it was? And this and that. 
you know, the excitement is there. So for me, I'm like, I'm trying to find a way for myself now to, to bring in some comics sure. to the classroom, right? What I think is cool with that is thinking about, well, for you, AJ, social studies, you could go on any, anywhere from John Lewis's March trilogy, which is his uh, autobiographical story of his, uh, his life and throughout the civil rights movement. And it's a- absolutely incredible and it's so powerful. It's winning all these awards. It's probably, I- I'd imagine it's one of the most popular graphic novels taught in schools today. The third volume just came out last year. Or a TV show, hey, Justice League, you know, in the 70s, you know what uh, Green Arrow was doing? He was traveling around the country connecting with people because he was because he realized that the government had gotten out of control and he wanted to do really really connect with people on a grassroots on a grassroots kind of liberal way right it's politics right there so whether we're looking at the these nonfiction stories or we're looking at superhero stories right they're all stories of with these universal experiences that whether you're looking at social studies and history or you're looking at English and sure it might be a little harder with math but trust me it's out there and that is actually what I was going to ask you because I, I, I'm trying to think like what would be the appropriate way to kick it off? Like do I start with a superhero they know and find a series that connects into something we're doing in the classroom, whatever it may be? Or do I find a historical graphic novel that tells the story as I want it to tell but in that comic-y form and that animation with the panels and, and, a, and a different way to learn about a story? So like for me, I would love to have these superheroes – that they know and, and use that. But I think at the same point, they might get too carried away with the hero and not making the connection to the outside world and what's going on around them. But I think that's where you would be bridging that gap, AJ, because as you're saying that, I'm thinking I too would also want to go with the superhero they know and find a story that mirrors you know, the historical content in this case. Adam, what, what are your thoughts? I think it all goes back to the learning objective. What are you looking to do? Are you looking to present the present a historical event in a new way? Well, then uh, you, you might be doing some research on um, revolutionary war graphic novels and see what comes up. Mm-hmm. But my hesitation with that is um, there's this for what, when somebody's really into something and like I am with comics. Oftentimes, I find I see educators out there who are into this into comics into a, kind of a niche angle of. Uh, education and you just start to push all comics in the classroom and just because some comics are great and have a lot of value doesn't mean there's going to be that specific revolutionary war comic you're looking for i mean it probably is but it doesn't mean it's going to be good and i I think especially if we're introducing a type of text that is a little more controversial and you've got to maybe fight a little harder for you want to make sure you're choosing something that's going to be effective for what you want your students to learn and is is quality right? It's we're looking at stories. We want them to be good stories. We're well written, well crafted. But the other side for me is really thinking about right. Thinking about what do you want your kids to learn? Are you looking? Are you teaching? Um, the, all right, the American Revolution. It's really an underdog story, right? It's about truth and justice. It's about the America fighting, rebelling against uh, re- re- kind of an oppression of uh, of their parent country. Well, that's the, that. There's probably a dozen different superhero analogs for that exact same thing. Really, for me, it goes back to these universal experiences that comics are so good at revealing, right? Superman. Superman's the ultimate immigrant story. Right. He's sent here from another another country and has to learn to live among us. Right. Then there's another Superman story, an alternate universe called Red Sun, where he lands in the Soviet Union. Right. Think about that when you're doing the Cold War. 
right? There, there's all these different experiences captured through the lens of superheroes, but it's really about so much more than being a superhero. Now, as, as you're saying that, the following question pops to mind. We've been talking about how we can use graphic novels to teach content. And, you know, we've brought it into social studies. Obviously, Adam, you have experience bringing it into English and language arts. What are your thoughts on having students create and write? And, and cause, I mean, we have them learn to write poetry and, you know, they, they learn to write all different types of prose and different writing styles. What about writing comics? I love the idea of it. It's something that I always offered as an option in my classroom, but I frankly didn't do enough of. And I would have loved to have gone back and really, really, really made more of an emphasis there. Um, I, I think it's my, my fear with it in some ways is that it's hard to assess and always seemed like an easy cop out for a kid who didn't know what to do. Well, they make a comic because I like comics. And so they think they're going to get a good grade. And thinking, I think it goes back to just like anything, and especially anything creative, right? you want to make sure to provide that critical thinking component to it. So the few times that I did have students creating comics – we often uh, kind of deconstructed the way that different uh, comic creators, writers, and artists had went about their craft and tried to either mimic or come up with their own stylistically appropriate ways of telling those stories. So I think uh, it's it's important to me to let's do, to give students those options, um, add creativity to the classroom, but also really be examining. And again, this is coming from an English perspective, I guess, but critically examining the way in which the medium works and the the words and images come together. But see, my pushback on that is something that's been going on for probably over a decade or longer is the kid who makes a video, makes a movie. And, you know, we're blown away. You know, the things that iMovie alone can do with effects. Has the child thought critically when they make their video or went out on a weekend and shot some, some video with their friends with a GoPro, I think that's debatable. So that's my only pushback with that is, you know, if we're bringing up how we assess it and what the requirements are, then I think that raises the level of rigor on something like creating comics. Yeah, I think you're totally right. I think there's a lot of similarity between uh, those two examples. Um, so again, for me, it goes back to what do we want our students to learn or learn to do and why? And then how are we assessing that knowledge? Because I, I think you're right, Chris. I think like we are blown away when kids go create a movie. And I think part of it, it just comes from our age and that wow factor, right? Like depending on how old you are and how in tune you are to technology, that might blow your mind, right? But if I watch my kids sit there and make silly little YouTube videos or play on their phones, like I know that it's easy to make it look amazing because all of the tools are right there. And it has, if you're not really looking at the content, it has little to do with the actual ability or skills of the kid so much as it does with the software that they're using. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I can see where, where you're pushing back on that, but I, I kind of, I agree with you, Adam, like where there's a fine line between creativity and a kid and a kid who's just going to cop out. They're like, Oh, you know, I, 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 I like to draw and I'm just going to draw this half story and I'm going to turn it in. And then there's no real depth. There's no storyline. There's no character development. I think that comes from knowing what kids are truly capable of. Like we need to know what our kids are capable of, what they're capable of being critical of, um, you know, the work at, that they're able to do and just not get bogged down in, in the, the showiness of some of the things. Mm-hmm. 
And I'll add to that, I think uh, the way I would look at this also is adding this piece of critical thinking and reflection. Well, all right, so you want to make the comic? I'm all for that. But why did you choose to do the things you did? Why pick pick your favorite three panels and explain your choices? How did this come together? What's the purpose of it? What's the effect you want it to have on the reader? Right, Really asking students to think critically about their choices and keep pushing for that why behind the learning and the assessment. Agreed. I think that's a critical piece. So I think there's so many different tools out there that, that we can have our students create something, co- uh, you know, quote unquote, comic booky, comic book like, you know, and you just think about like apps or tools like Storyboard That or you know, even Google Drawing, or I like to mm-hmm. just give them a piece of paper and have comic strips on it. Or like a Powtoons. Oh, Powtoons is another one. Absolutely. I, there's just so many ways out there that we can have them express their their passions in so many different ways. Hey, Adam, here's a comic bookie question for you since, since you have experience and you've taught with you know comics and graphic novels in the classroom what mainstream comic or well-known book would you love to teach with or were you most excited to bring in and have your students be like oh my gosh i didn't know that fill in the blank superhero could be related to this topic and wow thank you mr schoenbart you know, my, my best example actually is, so it's a, I'll say X-Men first class. So not quite a kind of, kind of a cheat because it's not, it's not specifically a comic book, but a comic book, comic book movie, but really it's about the X-Men characters. And so this is, this is a good example of speaking to the idea that the, that comic book superheroes often represent something much more than what it seems at first. And actually this is true of all the Marvel characters, um, Marvel in particular, but uh, most superheroes in general. So the X-Men, right? They're mutants. They were born with a genetic chromosomal difference that leads to them all having different powers and abilities, and they're feared and hated because of it. And really, they were created that way because Stan Lee didn't feel like creating other superhero origins and just said, hey, they're born with it. But over time, what the, what the stories became is something much more than that. So does anyone know what the X-Men represents? Who's the leader of X-Men? Come on, AJ. No, leader of X, uh, Cyclops. Well, Professor X. Professor I mean, X. Sorry, what's, what's, profe- what's Professor X believe? What's he want in life? Peace and tranquility among the people. Uh-huh. Who's the, who's their enemy? Magneto? What's Magneto believe in? Right? He's all about dominance, right? Mutant domination. Mutants are homo superior. They are the next evolution. And anyone know when the X-Men were created? I want to say 30s? Nope. Mar- all Marvel characters started, or the big ones were all starting in the 60s, 1960. So X-Men are 1963. Any ideas what the X-Men mm-hmm. represent here? So the X-Men. Oh, the history teaches. The Civil Rights Movement. Right. Dr. Max and Martin Luther King. Interesting. So I actually used the, the movie X-Men First Class leading from my first unit that we did was uh, this is this is uh some some interesting comparisons the way the way i took this but it worked really well for me x-men first class the prequel origin story of the x-men starts with magneto as a holocaust survivor and goes into the formation of the team and i use that as my lead in uh finish my lead out of to kill a mockingbird and leading into ellie wiesel's night and art spiegelman's mouse so we've got this Holocaust setup. We have the civil rights movement with to kill that's coming after To Kill a Mockingbird, and we really have this really strong allegory of what the X Men represent about truth and justice, and about and about fighting for people who are different than you. So for me, that that was really the core of it. How can we? How can these superheroes, right, who 
we all know for the most part, most of these kids have seen an X-Men movie or at least some superhero movies. Really, we look at it on a surface level where we're able to talk about characters that we know in easy, low stakes ways, but really represent so much more. So that was certainly one of those, uh, one of those movies I showed in my class with that, that most people raised an eye at and an eyebrow at and said, what's this have to do with anything? Yeah. So my, my head just exploded on all of that information. Cause I don't think I'd like, I definitely don't know when comic books start or, you know, they're the actual origin of all of these stories, mm-hmm. but like, so your kids' reactions must have been very similar to mine, like just dumbfounded, like pick their jaw up off of the desk. That's amazing. Um, DC Comics, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman were all the 1930s, and then Marvel, um, Spider-Man, X-Men, Fantastic Four, Iron Man, everybody. That's all the 1960s. Adam, how would you use comic books with your own staff? Like, Do you see that being something that you can turn from your your English teacher – ways into your administrative ways. I mean, I've always been fascinated with the conversations that we've had on the side just about comic books and your knowledge of them. Did you ever see that working with the teachers that you're now supervising and leading? So I have two sides to that answer. On one hand, sure, you walk in my office and you'll see on my wall a Batman piece of two Batman, uh, uh, a poster and a piece of artwork. And that's led to a lot of conversations. Um, that just like we found in our experiences, a lot of teachers I work with, well, they're into something in the realm of what we'll call geeky stuff, right? Whether it's my the Game of Thrones poster or the Batman one, it's it's a moment to build relationships and get to know people outside of the just school and teaching realm. So that's led to some good conversations, ones that I would certainly hope to leverage into more conversations about comics in the classroom. Because I love comics. I'd love to see them being used for sure. It's less about comics themselves and more about thinking about ways we can do school differently and how can we bring our passions into the classroom and how can we really think about different ways to approach the content and the skills that in many cases have been the same for such a long time. So I kind of look at comics as this microcosm for bringing new ideas or new approaches into education as a whole and whether or not that ends up being the comic book graphic novel in the end. I love it, but I care much less about that as long as we're thinking critically about what we're doing and and really thinking about new ideas. I love it. I, and we've had this conversation too where, you know, there are so many times when we've talked about comic books and what you're doing with comic books in the classroom and how much I've just wanted to be a 17-year-old kid in Mr. Schoenbar's class talking about the themes in comic books and relating them to the themes in the novels that we're studying or, you know, the themes in society or whatever it is that you're tying together with your comic books. I've always, always, always just sat there in awe as I listened to you on Voxer, just thinking like uh, my education would be so different if you were my teacher. Thank you. Actually, and, and along those lines, Adam, if you had the opportunity to develop a, I'll make it easy, a, a language arts elective that revolved around comic books for the basis of the curriculum, what would that elective course look like if you could solely use comics for a language arts course? So I think uh, I'm going to cheat a little here. Um, I used to teach a class called Myth, Magic, and Make-Believe, which, uh, as you know, but it wasn't just a comic book class. It was a class focused on all sorts of mythology. We used uh, the idea of the hero's journey as our foundation, and we looked at... um, Norse and Greek mythology and Thor comics fit right into there. 
we looked at magical realism, horror literature some years, Arthurian legends, and we really dug deep into these sort of genre stories. Um, and what, and I think for me that the hero's journey is such an essential part of our culture, really, and and the world we live in. That that's that's the foundation. I would love to continue exploring through comics. Um, we read books like uh, like Thor, God of Thunder, which is a Thor graphic novel, and another comic called I Kill Giants, which is a very small personal story of a young girl dealing with grief and seeing the contrast between these big bombastic superhero stories and these much more personal slice of life stories and how we can draw those connections. That's something uh, through the lens of heroes and, and the, and archetypes. That's something that's always fascinated me and I would love to uh, keep working on. I I hope that that pops up in the near future as something you're like, Hey, I got this course here. Let's, let's kind of stick it in there. Well, one of my things I've noticed is uh, I found in the ninth grade curriculum, they're reading the Odyssey and using uh, Joseph Campbell's Power of Myth. So I've been talking to some of the teachers and getting a sense of what they're doing. What I'd love to uh, be able to do in the future is um, is do some uh, guest uh, guest teaching in a few of the classes every once in a while. I think that would uh, help keep me really connected to the classroom and all, and get to know students in a different way, but also would really just be a lot of fun to be able to do what I love uh, in, in the classroom. Not that I don't love what I'm doing now, but really be able to keep that connection alive. So Adam, real, real quick, as you are a, one of the best blog writers that we know, talk a little bit about your website and where it's come from, where it's going and, and what you're excited about with uh, show and Bart on the web. All right. So uh, I blog at a my blog uh, was called the Show and Blog, but um, I recently announced a, a upgrade is coming. I've noticed uh, it's been hard to find the time to write um, with the transition in the new job, and at the same time, I've been working for a while on a update to a brand new site and new design. So I decided to go on a little bit of a hi- hiatus while I put all that together and really uh, find the balance in uh, my new position and make sure I can really have the time to blog meaningfully. And I miss it, so I'm excited to get back to it. So you will find my new site uh, titled Show and Tell, launching very soon, by the end of the month. Uh, I'll say it right here, by the end of the month. So now now all the listeners are hearing it, so I'm committed to that. And you can still find that at ashowandbart.com. I blog about technology, instruction, and leadership. And I do have quite a few posts that are focused on these ideas of pop culture, comic books, and the English classroom. Um, often with some of the conversations, just like we're having here today, about making connections between comic book superhero pop culture and education yeah i always love when you would uh attend a movie and then write about it the next day and just how you were going to bring that into your classroom me too i'm hoping to do more of that you've got a couple movies coming up that you can totally take advantage of that Mm -hmm. on just just a couple of movies (laughs) a couple others absolutely adam do you want to would you be willing to stick around and participate in the rest of this episode Sure. All right. So, Adam, thanks for sticking around because there's actually a connection that I have from something that Chris said earlier um, about, or actually, you told Chris that you would be able to find a graphic novel or a comic book for almost any content area. And we often joke about how there is a podcast for everything. So, I'd really love to see if our listeners can find a graphic novel that ties into their content area and tell us how they're using it. But I want to know, Adam, what are you listening to? What podcasts are you listening to? Um, and then we'll we'll go around and, and share what we're all listening to. 
So I'm listening to a lot of podcasts these days, and what I've been finding more and more is a short podcast that gives a real punch to it is something I've been enjoying. And one of the one of my goals lately has been to follow the news a little more closely and really uh, really keep up with what's going on in the world around us. And with that, I am loving um, the Up First podcast from NPR. Oh, I love great. that one too. Ten. 10 to 12 minutes every day. They come out at 6 a.m. So when I'm getting uh, leaving for work, I usually listen to it as I'm getting ready or getting in the car. And it is a great bite-sized and really thoughtful, well-produced news podcast. And I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, I like that one too. I like that there are three quick stories. And if you want to dive deeper into any of those topics, you could probably do that. But I feel like you get enough content from the three short stories that they cover in about 12 minutes to just feel like you know what's going on in the world. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and my, my tip with that one is I'm subscribed to it, but I have that one set in overcast to only keep the latest episode. So if I, if I miss it or I don't listen to it, it's gone. I don't let it That's a good idea. back up my log. That is smart. That's smart. But I listen to it every day because like Adam's saying, it's like one of those things like you're doing your hair or getting dressed and it's just like there, listen to it. And and because I listen to everything, like I listen to that one on almost two, um, it's it it's not even twelve minutes. So, Chris, what are you um, what are you listening to these days? I am actually going to have to give a shameless plug for the House of Ed Tech because I, I as we record this today, I released episode ninety six, and I have planned out episode ninety six, ninety seven, and ninety eight are going to be a how to podcast miniseries. So I recorded recently, listened to it for quality control today. So the last episode I've listened to of a podcast is my own. And episode 96 is all about why somebody should consider starting a podcast and episodes 97 and 98 are going to go into, you know, my software recommendations, hardware recommendations, and really get into the how to, because I realized as I get near a hundred episodes, I've been doing it, but never really outside of conferences took the time to talk about it on my own show, which I think is relevant to education technology. So if you're not subscribed to House of Ed Tech, go over to chrisnessy.com slash subscribe and check out episode 96. And if you've ever considered starting a podcast, maybe hearing me talk about why you definitely should might give you that little push that you need. Now talk about pushing. This is really just the lead up to the book that you're going to publish, right? The book might be closer than you think, and it might come Yay. out really soon, like after episode 98. Oh, I love it. Yay. <laughs> push, push. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right. AJ, what are you listening to? I've been listening to, re-listening to a lot of old episodes uh, from a bunch of different people. So I am actually looking for, for something so, something else. I, I've been stuck on so many episodes that I, I want to use for my classroom routine. So I've been listening to, to episodes of um, Cult of Pedagogy. Uh, just Her stuff is outstanding. So I, I made a list of specific episodes that I wanted to get to because she's talking to certain people about certain things like personalized classroom or differentiating instruction or questioning techniques. So I've kind of been stuck, like just going back to the old things. And I've been listening to a lot of, of Kelly Croy and the Wired Educator, just because I want to hear the interviews he has with a lot of different people. But I'm looking for something a little deeper. So 
I'm looking for recommendations. I, and, and truly, I'm looking for something that's, that's going to be like eye-opening and life-changing. And, and I have to find those podcast episodes that like grab me. You know, I like something that's quick. I'm not, I don't like a long-winded episode sometimes. So I need something that's quick. Does it have to be education-related? Because it sounds like you need a little, maybe a little personal development from the P and the PD. Maybe. I mean, I'm just kind of looking for something that's going to hit on, on all levels that I'm looking that I'm interested in. You know, I'm interested in the education aspect. I'm interested in the leadership. I'm interested in, you know, the self-help, quote-unquote. But, like, I, I don't know where to go. I, I feel like I've had, I've had so many podcasts here that when I go through and I look to listen to them, I'm like, I'm not really in the mood for that right now. I'm going to go to some tried and true recommendations that I have. I don't know if you ever got into the 5 a.m. miracle, but definitely maybe reapproach that one. The Art of Manliness, that one will definitely push your thinking because um, the host of that, Brett McKay, he is always talking to really interesting people. And it's not just about, you know, ho, 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 manliness, but it'll definitely push your thinking as a human. Note to Self from NPR with Manoush Zamarodi always producing really great content. Hidden Brain will definitely push you. I, I know you've listened to that before, but definitely, I mean, just, I, I would dive into some of those. I would check out Magic Lessons too with um, Elizabeth Gilbert. And um, she basically tries to get creatives out of their own heads and out of their own way so that they can go on and do all the great things that they're striving to do. And she gives them practical lessons on how to, to do that. So I would check that out. Okay. And they're short. And then her second season, in her first season, she she talked to people, talked about like their process and what they were hoping to do and their goals. Then she talked to professionals who are already living that life. And then she went back and checked in with the original person that she spoke with. But in season two, she pretty much wrapped all of that into one episode. So it would be like conversation with you know, the average Joe conversation with the person doing it in real life. And then, you know, a follow-up and that was all combined into one lesson. And I loved it. All right. And, um, for me, so my number is ridiculous. And Chris, how long have we been, how long have we been recording? Uh, we've been recording for over an hour. Okay. So in an hour's time, I've had two more downloads of podcasts and my number is 982. You better start listening or else you're going to turn into a, a very long oval when it hits three digits. I can't. I, I can't do it. So I, part of the problem is I've added a new podcast to my lineup and I've um, taken a dive into Pod Save America. I like the gratuitous swearing. It kind of speaks to me a little bit. Um, so that's been really great. And um, in that realm, Embedded has come back. And they are taking a super deep dive into Donald Trump and, you know, who he was before he was president. So episode one was Donald Trump before he was on The Apprentice and as that was building into a thing. And then the second episode was Donald Trump, the golf course mogul. So those are the two episodes that are out so far. And they're just fascinating. Um, you know, someone who lives in New Jersey, we know a lot about Donald Trump as a um, casino millionaire. Um, so it's just kind of nice to get a different view of our president. 
and kind of, you know, see where he came from. Paint that picture beyond The Apprentice and some of the media spin that you see on TV. Very cool, Stacy. So that's a lot of podcasts, which actually fits in with one of the pieces of feedback we got. And so we did get two pieces of feedback, one via SpeakPipe, one from our Flipgrid. So we do want to thank, and we're going to play this in the next episode from Jeremy Frick and also from Miss Lori Canada. We're going to play your feedback in the next episode. So come on back for that one, episode number 17. Um, and if you want to leave us feedback, you can go to podcastpd.com slash feedback. You can also go to podcastpd.com slash Flipgrid as our very first Flipgrid challenge is still ongoing. And again, we simply want to know where you're listening and what you're doing with this podcast, Podcast PD. So check that out and we will look forward to playing some of those responses on the next episode in episode number 17. Uh, but before we say goodbye, Adam, real quick, let our listeners know how they can connect with you and continue to learn from you in so many ways. You can find me on Twitter at Mr. Schoenbart and my website, ashoenbart.com. Uh, all my old writing and posts are there. Uh, more information, how to get in touch and look forward to uh, a brand new site and new writing coming soon. All right, Adam, thank you again so much. We really appreciate it. And you know what? I'll, I'll just sneak this in here at the end. You know, any good jokes? Oh, <laughs> uh, right, you think of one. And I want to remind our listeners that we are also on Twitter and we've been getting your feedback on episode ideas. So keep those coming. And while he's thinking, I'll, I'll, I'll stall for him a little bit more. Also, make sure you check us out on Facebook and join our budding Facebook community at podcastpd.com slash Facebook. And now here is the joke of the episode. What's the difference between Batman and a robber? Batman can go into a store without Robin. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Podcast PD. For links to all the resources mentioned in this and every episode, please visit our website, podcastpd.com. You can connect with me on Twitter and Instagram at AJBianco, and I also blog at AJBianco.me. You can connect with me on Twitter. I am Mr. Nessie, and I would love it if you also checked out the House of Ed Tech podcast over on chrisnessie.com. You can connect with me on Twitter and Instagram at irontech, and I blog at irontech.me. Connect with Podcast PD on Twitter and Instagram at Podcast PD. We'd also love to have you as a member of our Facebook community. Go to podcastpd.com forward slash Facebook to join. You can help us reach more educators like you by telling someone else about the podcast. So share us with a colleague. And if you do it on social media, please make sure to tag us. Podcast PD is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcast for educators, podcast by educators. For more podcasts, visit edupodcastnetwork.com. Podcast PD is a proud member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here.
For more great content, go to voiced.ca. What is Thor's favorite food? Tortillas. Tortillas. <laughs> you know, getting down to my Latina roots. Anyway, ha ha ha. What is Spider-Man's favorite month? February. What is a superhero's favorite part of the joke? The punchline. Where is Spider-Man's homepage? On the World Wide Web. We are looking at the same page. <laughs> when did Anakin Skywalker become evil? In the sixth grade. <laughs> <laughs> what is Superman's greatest weakness? I don't get that one. Well, I don't get it. A bucking horse. A bucking horse? I don't get mm-hmm. it. I don't get either. Oh, that one's mean. What's the difference between Green Lantern and a unicorn? Nothing. They're both fictional characters. What position did Bruce Wayne play in his Little League team? Bat he boy. was the Bat Boy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Got it. What does Batgirl wear to bed? Her dark nightgown. <laughs> What did Wonder Woman say to Spider-Man? Don't bug me.